you have your Bibles with you tonight, would you open them please to 2 Samuel 13. 2 Samuel 13. We're in a sermon series on Sunday night entitled, Helps for the Hurting. Life is full of hurts. If you live long enough, you are going to be hurt. You say, Pastor, I'm not hurt right now. That's okay, your time will come, don't be discouraged. Hurts come in many different sizes and shapes and shades and slants, but they're all painful. And tonight I want to talk about the subject of sexual abuse, the hurt of sexual abuse, but more than that, the hope and the help and the healing there can be in this situation. 2 Samuel 13, beginning with verse 10. And Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into my chamber, that I might eat of it of thy hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her stepbrother. And when she had brought them unto him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother. Do not force me, for no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Do not do this act of foolishness or folly. And I, whether shall I go with my shame? And as for you, you shall be one of the fools of Israel. Verse 14, however, he would not hearken to her voice. He would not listen. Being stronger than she was, he forced her, and then he raped her. 2 Samuel 13 is one of the saddest and most sordid chapters found in the Word of God. Let me give you the highlights, or better said, the lowlights of 2 Samuel 13. You can read the whole chapter on your own a little bit later. King David the man after God's own heart, a man who is in God's hall of fame. He had a son by the name of Amnon. Amnon had a problem. He had a very strong, sinister lust for his stepsister Tamar. He began listening to a close friend of his, an advisor, if you will, whose name was Jonadab. And Jonadab told Abnon, you are the son of a king. You can rightfully get anything you want. You deserve anything you want. And if you want your stepsister, go ahead and take her. And then Jonadab gave the plan to Abnon. He said, pretend you're sick. Pretend you're sick. And then ask your father, King David, to send her to you to care for you during your sickness. 
Well, King David did just what Amnon asked. And Tamar came to Amnon's place. She entered into his bedroom. And there, he forcibly raped her despite all of her beggings and pleadings not to do so. After he sexually abused his stepsister, his lust turned to hate, and he threw her out of the palace. He threw her out into the street like you would a piece of trash, and he mocked her and he laughed at her in doing so. David... Tamer's own father is told of what Amnon has done to his daughter. And David does absolutely nothing. Are you listening to me? David did absolutely nothing. Oh, he got angry. He said some things he maybe shouldn't have said. He kicked some furniture. He threw some things. But by and large, he did absolutely nothing. Amnon was not charged nor tried for his crime, and it was a crime as much as a sin. Tamar was not counseled or consoled in any way. She was just told to be quiet, be a big girl, let it go. And the entire matter was swept under the rug and covered up without any justice at all. Absalom was Tamara's real brother. Amnon was her stepbrother, remember. And when he sees what's happened to his sister, Absalom becomes enraged. His father won't do nothing, but Absalom says, I will. And so Absalom takes matters into his own hands. And two years after this incident, he murders Amnon. He gets him drunk, and then he murders him. And then Absalom flees to another city, and there he's going to stay for three years, in exile, afraid to come home because he then might be charged with murder. Now that's the story in a nutshell. Now think with me just a moment, if you will. Amnon, the sexual abuser, is dead. Jonadab, the wicked encourager, he lives on. He lives on. He's never held accountable for what he prompted Amnon to do. Absalom, the vengeful brother, becomes a fugitive. King David mourns the loss of two sons. Amnon is dead, and Absalom has fled. But pastor, what about Tamara? What about her? Do you know not much is ever said about what happened to her? Did she ever recover from what her brother did to her? Did she ever recover from the grief and the fear and the pain and the shame and the dirtiness 
of his act against her? Did this beautiful girl ever get better? Or did she just live on? Live on outwardly, but die inwardly. As I think about this story, I wonder if thousands of years later, that story hasn't already went on with some of you. Or maybe even is going on right now. It's being repeated in some way, shape, or form because you have been sexually abused too. It happened when you were young, when you were vulnerable, when you were innocent, when you were defenseless. But it happened. And like Tamar, oh, you're alive outwardly, but you're dead inwardly. You have never dealt with what happened to you. You've never dealt with it. Do you know statistics? Tell us. Every reliable statistic I've ever seen on the subject of sexual abuse, listen to your pastor, says that 25% at least, minimum 25%, Of all boys and girls in this country under the age of 18 will be sexually abused. One out of every four children in this country are going to face some type of sexual abuse before they reach the age of 18. One in four. And some give that, and again, that statistic is a bottom statistic. It probably is higher than that. According to the records, most people who sexually abuse others, they will never get brought to justice. And most of the sexual victims will never receive any help. Like Tamar, they'll just carry on their life dead on the inside never having been counseled, never having been consoled for what happened to them. Essentially, they were told to shut up and be a big girl. And usually, somebody knows what took place. Sexual abuse normally doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's usually somebody, according to the experts, who knows what's taking place. But they don't say anything. They don't do anything to stop it. Can you imagine that? Knowing a child is being abused, but more so sexually abused. And to know that and not say nothing, not do nothing. Why are people quiet? Why are people not involved? Oh, there's a thousand bad excuses, but there's no good reason. By God's grace, I want to give some hope to some of you tonight. I want to give some help to some of you tonight. I want to bring some healing to some of you tonight, or at least begin the process. I wish Tamar could have heard this in her day. 
maybe her life story would have been a little bit different and better. But it's not too late for those of you that are listening who have been through it and might even, God forbid, be going through it right now. Seven things I want to share with you. Seven things. First of all, if you have been sexually abused, if you are being sexually abused, past or present, don't expect others to know how you feel. The mental anguish, the emotional deadness, the physical pain, the, the spiritual unworthiness, nobody can understand this kind of nightmare that you've been through. It, it is difficult for people who have never been there to understand it. The tears that you've cried, the, the screams that you've hollered, the terror that you've experienced. Nobody can grasp the depths of the hell that you have been through. It's not that people don't care. Sometimes they don't know how to think and how to feel in regards to what you have been through. How can you experience a nightmare if you've never had one before? How can you experience hell if you've never been through it before? So if you've been sexually abused, don't think people don't care. They do care. But they don't always understand your thoughts and feelings on that matter. Your mind, your heart. It's not their fault. It's just the way it is. Secondly, don't blame yourself for what happened. Satan loves to put the blame on the one who was abused. But remember, Satan is an accuser, is he not? He's a liar. He's a murderer. He deceives that he can destroy. And Satan pulls up alongside people who have been sexually abused and he says, it's all your fault. You shouldn't have said what you said. You shouldn't have done what you've done. You deserve this. This is the price you had to pay for what you did. I say to you tonight, if you have been sexually abused, don't you blame yourself. The blame lies totally and squarely on the person who did this to you. You didn't cause it. Don't you go blaming yourself. Don't you do that. Thirdly, if you've been sexually abused, you are not worthless and you're not shameful. Because once again, the devil comes alongside of you and tells you you're just a piece of trash now. You're dirty, you're shameful. Don't you allow what somebody's done to you to define you. You can't always control what somebody might do to you, but you can control what you're gonna how you're going to react to it. 
You're not ugly. You're not dirty. You're not worthless. You're not shameful. You're not vile. You're a person of great value and great potential in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your Creator has a plan for your life. Your Redeemer has a purpose for your life. And just because somebody is abused you doesn't change that. Don't sink to the bottom, float to the top. Because our Lord can take an ugly duckling and make them into a beautiful swan. Fourthly, forgive your abusers. And I understand the difficulty. Because the flesh cries out for vengeance, payback, revenge. But whenever you try to get even with somebody who's hurt you, however the hurt may be, if they're down here and you're up here and you're going to get even with them, where do you got to go? You got to sink down to their level. Don't you do that. Learn how to forgive and let it go. Why do I say that? Because unforgiveness will destroy the one who holds it. Unforgiveness is like an acid that eats the container that it is within. Unforgiveness is like a poison that's in your well. And you're the one drinking it. When you forgive, as the Lord Jesus so forgives us, if we forgive others, there is a release and there is a peace that comes with that forgiveness that will fill your troubled mind and heart. Now I want you to understand that forgiveness does not say justice will not be served. You let justice take its course if justice needs to be involved. Don't get in the way of authorities doing what they need to do. You can forgive somebody, but you still let justice take its course. Forgiveness doesn't mean you need to enter into a relationship again with that person. Let's be buddy buddies again. Let's be friends. No, it doesn't mean that at all. You'd be wise to leave them alone. What forgiveness does mean is I'm not going to allow what's happened to me to consume my mind and heart. I'm going to get it out and keep it out. And I'm going to walk on in the grace and mercy of God. I'm going to forgive those who did it to me, and I'm going to forgive those who knew about it and did nothing. I'm just going to forgive. Fifthly, don't give up on your life. Because many times when people are hurt, particularly sexually, they tend to put a cocoon up around themselves. They tend to isolate themselves. They no longer want to trust people. They no longer want to love people. 
They push people away because they believe that what this one or two did to me, everybody's going to do to me. Somebody might treat you like trash, but there's others who will treat you like a jewel. And you've got to open yourself to trusting people and loving people again. Or you will become a prisoner of what has happened to you. Sixthly, you need to help others. Don't waste your pain. Use it to help others. Take what happened to you that was bad and allow God to transform it into something that's good. Become a counselor. The best counselor sometimes is a person who's been there, who knows what somebody's thinking and feeling, not because you read about it in a book or you heard somebody tell you about it, but because you actually experienced it yourself. Become a police officer. Become an advocate for the abuse. Become a social services worker or, or even just become an observant family member. Because you know what? Most sexual abuse takes place in the family, by the family. It isn't some stranger that walks off the street. It's somebody in your own family. Generally, somebody you respect and you trust. And they take that respect and trust and take advantage of the young people of your family. Help others. Help others. And then lastly, let God bring justice. Because again, I know it's hard to see that person that did this to you walking around scot-free. This person who could have stepped in and helped you walking around scot-free. They've escaped justice in this world. Listen to me. They might escape it in this world, but they won't escape it in the world to come. There is a judge. And one day they will stand in heaven's courtroom and give an account for what they did to you. If they've refused to give their sins to Jesus, Jesus will make them pay for their sin. And what a horrible day that will be. Justice is coming. Keep that in mind. Those seven things I hope that you've listened to, I don't expect you to digest them because I gave you them pretty quickly and I gave them to you in a rather capsulized form. But I want you to know if you're sitting here tonight in the sound of my voice, and you have been sexually abused. Whether it was once, whether it was multiple times, I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know how, I don't know who, but you have experienced it. I want you to know there is help tonight. There's hope tonight. There's healing tonight. In the name of Jesus, you don't have to be a prisoner. You can come out of your cell. 
You don't have to be a piece of trash no more. You can be a jewel for the king. You don't have to wallow in it. You can come out of it stronger, better, and make a difference in somebody else's life. You don't have to hang your head in shame. You're a child of the king. He loves you. You don't have to hide in the past. You can come out and be assured that you will be loved and received and welcomed and never rejected. I want you to understand that. I want you to hear that from me, your pastor, with the staff. We want you to know there's hope for you. I like what Isaiah 61 says in closing, verses 1 through 4. Isaiah speaks of what Jesus said of himself. Isaiah 61, beginning with verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, says Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Are you listening to me? To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for their ashes, the oil of joy for their mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that might be glorified, that they shall build the old waste. Pastor, my life is wrecked. No, that he shall build the old waste and raise up the former desolations and repair the wasted cities and people of those cities and the desolations of many generations. Jesus can do it. It's not always immediate. Many times it's a progressive thing, but Jesus can do it. But you got to let him. you got to let him.